So the fun fact that I have this morning is that I was supposed to preach this message on New Year's Day. I got sick. Irony of it, my girlfriend, who was supposed to be here, she got sick with the exact same thing I got. So I was thinking if I was going to get sick again today, I would start looking on LinkedIn and Indeed for a new profession. So God telling me something. But nevertheless, this message is still relevant for us today. It's only, what, three weeks from the new year. And so that's what we're going to do. So thinking about the new year, during December and January, gym memberships go up 40%. Who joined a gym this this time of year? Who joined a gym? It's all right. Neither did I. But I could already tell that in the gym, in our neighborhood gym, I could see people, or a lot of people were there. So it goes up 40%. Uh, this is a typical New Year's resolution. Who made a New Year's resolution this year? Right? Yep. It's okay. You can raise your hand. I like it. Why? Why do people make New Year's resolutions? Because people are excited for a new year, new me. We're excited that 2016 is over, and we're moving into 2017. But the 40% come February goes down to like 10%. Gyms are empty. People are excited to go to the gym all the time. They're empty again. What if we were excited not for a resolution, but a restoration? People accepting Christ and being restored with Christ. Not necessarily so much a New Year's resolution, but a year of restoration. So what are you excited for? That's a question. Responses. I'm a youth guy. I like hearing people talk, so I don't have to talk all the time. What are you excited for? You can talk. It's okay. You're allowed to talk. Church's next journey. What else? What are we excited for? Snow. My mom, she's a teacher. Right? We're excited for things. For me, one of the most exciting moments was when I got into Christopher Newport University. The dream school I wanted to go to when I was a freshman in high school. I ran indoor track for Forest Park. So I went there. I remember the track was blue. I was like, that's tight. And I remember like, running around the campus, and for some reason, I was just like, I want to go to this school. I knew when I was a freshman in high school that I wanted to go to Christopher Newport University. I was, I guess, deferred or waitlisted, whatever you want to call it. I did early binding admission, so I put all my eggs in one basket. Don't do that. I learned the lesson. But I eventually got into CNU, and I remember how excited I was. I told a lot of people that I was excited. I remember opening this, the letter of seeing you and the, rip the top part. I think I still have the letter and it's still ripped. They didn't tape it. But it's just a symbol of my excitement. When we're excited about something, what do we tend to do? We tell people, right? I told a ton of people I got into seeing you because I wanted to share my excitement with others. We go on Twitter and try to contain our excitement to 140 characters. We log on to Facebook and we write a post and watch our like, the likes go up. We take a picture, we post it on Instagram, we watch the hearts, people hearting it, right? When we are excited about something, it's human nature to tell people what we are excited about. So last year, the Cubs won the World Series, right? People were really excited. I'm not a Cubs fan, but I'm a baseball fan, and so I was excited for the Cubs. I was sharing excitement with fans. Also, one of the coolest things that happened in 2016, they landed a rocket 
on a floating barge in the ocean. What? They landed a rocket. I told a ton of people that I watched this video of them landing a rocket in the ocean. It was just cool, right? It was exciting. Bottled up excitement is lost excitement. I told people about this rocket because I was excited about it. I didn't just be like, I'm excited about the rocket and hold it in. It comes a secret, right? Excitement lets others know what we are passionate about. I was passionate about this rocket for some reason. I don't know. It was cool, right? So why do I bring up excitement? Because for refuge student ministry, excitement is a core trait. And being the youth guy, I have to brag about the youth of the church, right? So we have three kind of like principles down in the youth suite. It's to engage in authentic relationships with Christ, be excited for the redeeming works of Christ, and go out and express those works. So three E's, engage, excite, express. We have about 25 plus students that come on Wednesday nights who are excited about teaching, who are excited to play games, who are excited to eat food, who are excited just to hang out. We started a new series, Big Question, Bigger God. And these are questions that students ask, students of your church. They've asked questions of what is heaven? Is hell really bad? This past Wednesday, we talked about how can I tell someone about Christ? These are questions that the youth are asking. These are not my questions that I asked. We've had a lock-in that I slept three hours at. Apparently, they took pictures of me when I was sleeping. <laughs> it's all right. I did get sleep. <laughs> and we have more exciting events to come. We have a high school retreat. We have a Discipleship Now weekend. We're going on a mission trip. I mean, the excitement is just building. My prayer for 2017 for students is to get excited about Christ. But it doesn't just stop there. What if Lake Ridge Baptist Church for 2017, we are excited about Christ, right? We are excited about to go out and stand on this corner and look in all directions, all these houses we have to go tell people about Christ. The excitement we get to go tell people about what is happening in this church, vision-wise, pastor searching, youth group, whatever, you name it. Exciting breeze excitement. So this morning, I want to look at two passages of Acts. So Acts is known for the early Acts of the church. That's why it's called Acts. So, you know, you can tell someone that. It records the conversion of Paul, the later half of the book, where he travels. It starts with the disciples in a scared room, in a room that they're scared. Then they are given the Holy Spirit that is promised, and it all changes. The church grows, and believers become excited, right? We know the story of, what, 3,000, 5,000 were saved a couple of chapters later. So if you have your Bibles, it'll be up here, but I encourage you to open your Bible. Acts chapter 3. We're going to start in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. It'll be up here, but... Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. The ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, 
But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took them by the right hand and raised them up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for arms. This is the best part. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. We see that Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. They, are go- they were going at a time where the temple was going to be crowded. Peter and John, being good preachers, they knew this. They knew that this time would, there would be a lot of people. So what better time to go tell these people about Jesus? It's a packed temple. They're like, there's a lot of people we can go and tell about Christ. Then there was a beggar. Imagine for a second, a hundred people walking past this beggar every day, day after day. Imagine because of Old Testament law that the beggar was not allowed into the temple. Just like Peter and John, this beggar knew that there would be a lot of people that would pass him, but for a different reason. In verse 5, Peter and this beggar have an interaction. Peter tells him, I don't have any gold or silver to give you. What he says is, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So this man is healed. He's healed immediately. And instead of going and telling his family he's healed, or going and just showing the town he's healed, or whatever, he immediately goes into the temple, leaping and praising God. This man physically goes into the temple, not slowly trying to figure out how his legs are working. He's like, oh my gosh, these new legs, how do I walk? But he goes into the temple, full force, leaping and praising Jesus for what he has done. Imagine this scene of this beggar. He is healed. Imagine this beggar coming in and jumping around and praising God for what God has done for him. Like I said, my favorite part is verse 10. Everyone in this temple knew this beggar. This beggar was there daily, day after day after day after day. So when he didn't just walk into the temple, but he leaped and praised, people did this, right? They turned their head. How many of you all drive on 95? Everyone, right? What happens if there's an accident? What do we do? Oh, what's going on, right? Right? Rubbernecking. I call this spiritual rubbernecking. Right? This guy's going into the temple, leaping and praising God. And everyone in the temple, what does it say? Amazement and wondered at him. They were like, what's going on with this guy? They wanted to know what was happening. Right? We hear sirens going on by our neighborhoods. We're like, what's going on? Right? We want to know. We're excited about what we want to know. Right? They saw his excitement and they wondered. Their verses go on to tell us that Peter used this man's healing as a way to tell people about Jesus. All right, this is important right here. I'm going to say it twice. He used the beggar's outward excitement for an inward change in others. He used the beggar's outward excitement for an inward change in others. I like questions. I like to ask questions, challenging questions. How many of us sitting here leap and praise Jesus everywhere we go? We sit down in our lunchroom at work and we see three or four people 
Are we excited that we can have a conversation? Are we excited just to eat, get back to work, and go home? Are we excited that in our office we just want to get our stuff done, go home, and do nothing? Right? How many of you sitting here this morning would have just walked into the temple? Okay, you know what? I'm just going to go into the temple, do my thing, and leave, right? Are you walking with Christ or you're leaping and praising Him? Now, I like running. My entire family likes running. My brother and I run. My sister runs. And so when I run, sometimes I'm excited to go running. It's called a runner's high, right? And so it took me a while to figure out why I got excited when I was running, these runner's high and stuff. And I didn't just start off running like my cross-country time and my mile time in high school. I first started to walk, right? Evangelism is this journey. We learn to walk before we can learn to run. So we are walking with Christ right now. That's a typical walk with Christ, pastors tell you. But evangelism, we start walking. We start asking questions to our friends, our family, our students. And then we start jogging. We ask them harder questions. We start asking them Bible questions. And then we start running. We start running with them. We're saying, hey, come to church with me. Sit next to me, right? So are you walking with Christ or are you leaping and praising Him? We are so quick to post pictures of our fancy lunch online, but yet slow to share the gospel. We tweet about gifts we receive, but we miss the ultimate gift. We are so quick to share on Facebook what we are doing today, not who we are living for today and every day. Churches die because they become stiff-necked. And that should frighten us, right? What if Lake Ridge Baptist Church was known for causing spiritual rubbernecking? That we were known for a sending church in a neighborhood that needs to hear the gospel? In a workplace that wants to hear the gospel? In schools that are hungry to hear the gospel? Excitement breeds excitement, which breeds excitement, which breeds excitement. The Cubs, I'm not a Cubs fan, but as a baseball fan, I was excited. And I got to share excitement with fellow Cub fans, right? The rocket, I told a ton of people because I was excited about the, the stupid rocket that landed. <laughs> Are you excited for Christ, not on Sundays, but every single minute of every single day? I understand that we're not going to be leaping and jumping for joy like this beggar, but we can be excited for something. As Christians, Christ meets certain needs for us. But church, there are so many needy people out there. Share the knowledge of Christ that we have. Let others know you're passionate about Christ because you're excited about what He is doing and what He is to do. I value excitement as a great tool for evangelism. When I was in Roanoke, I had the privilege of working with this guy named Tim Henderson. Tim Henderson knows his Bible better than I think anyone I know. And he would start just talking about Bible, talking about theology, and you would think that this man had a PhD in some theology. No, he has a bachelor's degree in speech pathology. He became a Christian. Someone handed him a Bible, and he was excited. And his life changed. He's a great guy, and he taught me everything I needed to know about evangelism. He told me that you cannot sell something if you aren't excited about that thing. So if I tried to t- sell you this microphone that I'm wearing, 
And I just said it's a microphone, it projects sound, it has a power button. You might not buy it, or you might buy it. But if I told you what this mic does, that it amplifies my voice a billion times over, it's got this battery, that the, the bunny that collapses in it and stuff, just like something exciting, you might buy it. If we aren't excited about what Christ is doing in our lives, why would someone else be excited to know him? So we're going to transition to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. I'm just going to have the rep. It's not going to be on the screen because it's a long passage. But we're going to read Acts chapter 18. And we're going to read verses 5 through 17. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and revealed him, he shook out his garments and said, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles, the non-Jews. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people." And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it's a matter of questions, about words, about names, and about your own law. See to yourself, I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. So we see Paul's in Corinth. And it says he is sharing the gospel. This story, I think, is, is a good approach and a good useful way to how we should approach evangelism, Paul's way. Everywhere Paul went, two things happened. Even in this passage. A rebellion and a restoration. Turn back to Acts 17, verses 1-9. through 9. You can turn back if you like, I'll read them out loud. But just listen to verses 1-4 through 4 and listen to the restoration that occurs. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonio, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of Jews. And Paul went in, as it was his custom, on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, who I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not few of the leading women. So we see Paul's preaching. People are restored. 
Look what happens in verses 5-9. through But the Jews were jealous. Oh, jealous Jews. Taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out of the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities and shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are acting, or they are acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. So we see a rebellion. Just read through Acts, the stories of Paul's missionary trips, and you see the theme of a restoration and a rebellion occurring. Everywhere Paul went, there was two things: a rebellion and a restoration. A restoration and a rebellion. In Acts 18, what we just read, it says that. The Jews were being abusive to Paul. They were not excited to hear the good news Paul was preaching. The amazing thing in it all is that Paul is still 100% excited for Christ. Church, he literally goes next door and continues preaching. He doesn't stop. He doesn't be like, I'm done with y'all. I'm not going to stay in the city anymore. I'm done. I'm going to go away. I'm less excited. He literally just goes next door and continues preaching. Listen to what Paul has gone through. He's gone through prison. He's been flogged. He's been against death. He's received lashings. He's been beaten. He was shipwrecked. He's been hungry. He's been in danger at sea, on land. Paul has been in trouble for a while, for, for a long time. But yet, in everything he did, he still was excited for Christ and still wanted to tell people about Christ. Now, we experience these rebellions all the time when we try to share the gospel. Not to the extent Paul did. We're not being lashed and flogged and shot. Nonetheless, we still experience times of rejection. I pray that when we do feel times of rejection, when we try to share the gospel, we don't lose our excitement for Christ. We stay excited for what He has done, what He is doing, what He will continue to do in our lives. Evangelism is hard, but allow God to ease the burden. Like I said, Paul's grief was only brief. He went next door and shared the gospel to Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, and his entire household believed. The synagogue ruler. The same ruler who was just in the synagogue with Paul being mean to Paul, right? In verses eight or in verses nine through eleven, the Lord comes to Paul in a vision and says, Don't be afraid, go on speaking, and do not be silent. And this applies to us as well. Don't be afraid of rejection because there will be rejection. I'm gonna tell you right now, people will not want to hear what you have to say. Don't be afraid of it. Christ is with you. Keep on speaking about Christ. Keep on speaking even though you might be rejected. And don't ever stop being excited for what Christ is doing and will do. We all have stories of a time where we got to interact with someone and because of our excitement, they wanted to know something. You might have told someone that you go to Lake Ridge Baptist Church and that exciting stuff is happening, and they were like, yo, I want to come check it out. 
You might have told someone about a story you read, and they read it, and they were like, thank you for sharing me that story. I really needed that. I have a story from when I was in Roanoke. One of uh, the pastors or staff members I worked with, her name was Julie. So Julie was a former teacher. And so she would see her students out in public. I know when I was a student, I saw my teacher in public. I was like, what? You have a life outside school? That's what I thought. I always go like this. Not Miss Pitts, though. (laughs) That's a different story. So Julie's in Target. I love Target. I encourage you to go to Target. And she was shopping, you know, just doing whatever she was buying. And so two former students came up to Julie. Julie was very excited, very peppy, outgoing person. And Julie and these students had a conversation. And these students were like, Julie, what do, you, what do you do now? Oh, I work at Church Holy Spirit. I'm the worship pastor, director. And the students were like, Julie, you're so excited. You're so happy. Like, what do you, what do you have? She's like, oh, I have Jesus. And immediately those students were like, I want that. So our excitement is contagious. If we are not excited for what Christ is doing, we're not contagious. So let's look at verses 12 to 17. Well, when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see it to yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue. It beat him in front of the tribunal. The Bible doesn't say why Sosthenes was beaten. We don't really know why they just ganged up on Sosthenes. But nonetheless, he was still beaten. See, remember Crispus, our guy from previous, he became a Christian. So if you're a Christian, can you be a ruler of the synagogue? No, right? I see some no's. No, you can't. Right? So they had to get someone else to be the ruler of the synagogue. So they got our homeboy, Sosthenes, right? They were like, all right, we need someone new. Let's get Sosthenes. Remember that Paul is in the city of Corinth preaching the gospel to people. Is there a book of the Bible named Corinthians? Right? Oh, 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 too much. Boom. Look, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ and our brother Sosthenes. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who sanctified in Jesus Christ, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord, Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Because Paul was excited about Christ, because Paul wasn't afraid, because Paul kept on speaking, and because Paul's excitement to share the gospel with Sosthenes, with the Jews, Sosthenes became a Christian and helped write the book of the Bible. When we feel afraid, when we feel like we cannot come up with anything to say, when we feel like our excitement for Christ is is slowly being sucked away, think of Sosthenes and think of Paul. Think of the story of when Paul was 
pushed out of the synagogue, went next door, Christmas became a Christian. Paul was like, ooh, new synagogue ruler. Paul preached at Sosthenes, Sosthenes, 1 Corinthians 1. Evangelism is hard, but it works. I hear students and adults say all the time, evangelism doesn't work. That's why I really don't do it. I do other stuff for the church. I go to choir, go to youth group, men's ministry, women's ministry. I do this, I do that. I think I'm all right. Jesus commands us to do it in Matthew 28. I told my students what I'm about to say to you all downstairs on Wednesday. He said, Simon says, put your hand on your head, and we do it. Simon says, rub your belly, and we rub our belly. Jesus says, go and make disciples, and we just memorize Matthew 28. We memorize John 3.16, and we memorize other verses, and we just recite them instead of living them out. So, for 2017, let's get rid of resolutions and look for restorations. Let's commit this year not to a resolution, but a restoration of five people. You're like, oh my gosh, that's a lot of people. That's five people in 365 days. Make a list of five people you want to share the gospel with and do it. That five comes to four, that four comes to three, and so on and so forth. And maybe... That one person you share with the gospel shares it with five people. And we see the multitude just multiplying. What are you excited for? Find something that gets you excited about. For me, I love studying God's love and what that looks for us in our lives. I'm excited about that. So I try to love everyone how Christ loved me. Find something that is joyful and exciting that Christ has done in your life and share it with other people. Bottled up excitement is not excitement at all. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking and never stop being excited. Cause spiritual rubbernecking and remember our Sosthenes. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this worship that we got to come here and sing songs. And we thank you for no snow. Lord, I pray that everyone in this room finds at least one person, maybe five people to share the gospel with. Lord, I pray that they find their excitement in you and they find what is exciting for their lives. And they go tell people about it. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.